A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am so glad you've joined us on the program today. Hopefully, you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, I did. It was nice. Got to spend some time with family and friends. Got to take my kids to the movies. By the way, if you have not seen the new Ghostbusters movie yet, I thought it was outstanding. I was a huge fan. The original came out when I was 10 years old. One of my favorite movies of all time. This one, I, I thought, way better than Ghostbusters 2. We won't even mention the reboot from like five years ago. Now, this was a worthy successor to the original Ghostbusters. And there's my five-second movie review for you. We're not actually going to be talking about Ghostbusters on the show today. Instead, we're going to be talking about a uh, New York Times column by a former federal and state prosecutor who, I, I mean, I got to tell you, you know, look, I, you know, I know the, the left has had a hard time with the uh, Rittenhouse verdict. Uh, and we have seen people lash out Stephen Colbert. Well, if he didn't break the law, then the law needs to change. Yeah. And now we've got this. Self-defense is becoming meaningless in a flood of guns. This from uh, Tali Farhadian Weinstein, a former federal and state prosecutor in New York who is also a legal analyst on NBC News and MSNBC. Given the uh, coverage from NBC News and MSNBC in the Rittenhouse trial, shouldn't come as a shock that Ms. Weinstein uh, has a real problem with both self-defense and gun ownership in general. She writes, quote, As pundits and legal experts consider why Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted of murder, many have focused on the prosecution's choices and possible errors in the case, or else on the rulings of the presiding judge. But even more than the prosecution or the verdict, it's really the defense's strategy that we'll have to live with for years to come, a strategy based on a bold and unapologetic acknowledgement of the dangers inherent in carrying a gun. The defense doubled down on the right to bear arms and asserted a right to fire, too. Such a strategy, which has adherence to the poles of the political spectrum, will increase gun violence, not only in red states, but wherever it is allowed to go unchallenged. How, how dare people assert that not only they have a right to keep and bear arms in self-defense, but they have a right to actually use that firearm in self-defense, too. Gosh, that's, that's outrageous. That's shocking. We gotta do something about this. I mean, actually, we don't. Unless, of course, you are someone on the left who is really freaked out by the possibility of more Americans embracing their Second Amendment rights. Weinstein says, and keep in mind, this is a former prosecutor. This is a woman who serves as a legal analyst on one of the biggest networks around. And she writes, quote, These assertions of a right to fire exploit standard self-defense laws. No, they don't. In Wisconsin, Georgia, and most states, the law allows you to use deadly force as long as you sincerely believe that you're in imminent danger. And as long as your response is reasonable and proportionate to that danger, Wisconsin, Georgia, and nearly all 50 states even require prosecutors to disprove claims of self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, that's that's the way the law is supposed to work. If you're a defendant and you get hauled into court, you start with a presumption of innocence, right? You are innocent until proven guilty in this country. That is how our rule of law works. But for Weinstein. It doesn't work at all. That's a problem. And she's really concerned. Although she says, this is where she makes her pivot, right? Because you think she's going to say, we're going to do something about these self-defense laws. Instead, she says, no, 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 no. That would be too narrow. That would be too myopic of a focus. What we really need to do here is to crack down on all those Americans who are carrying firearms. And she's very concerned 
about New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, the case that is challenging New York's may-issue carry law. She says, as you would expect, this Supreme Court case has generated the usual briefs from gun rights activists, the NRA, gun clubs, libertarian scholars, Republican politicians, you know, those nuts. What's strange, she writes, and disheartening, is that the petitioners have also received support from a group of prestigious and seasoned New York public defenders who argue that the New York law should be overturned, not really on Second Amendment grounds, but because of the way the law is enforced against their clients, black and brown poor defendants who need to carry guns for self-defense. The public defenders argue that historically, permits have been issued unevenly, and that still today in many places it's easier for whites and members of the middle class to get permits than it is for people of color and the poor. And they argue that their clients should have guns, just like other Americans do. In other words, the progressive left has met the far right in describing dangerous streets and the need to be armed on them. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. Let, let's let's talk about the fact that um, Ms. Weinstein loves her labels, doesn't she? I almost, had a, I almost dropped an F-bomb there. She loves those labels. Oh, it's the far right, and then it's, now it's the progressive left, and then... Where's she? Oh. She sees herself in that reasonable middle of the road, right, moderate position. No, no, no. She's the extremist. She's the extremist. You've got people on the right, maybe for you, people on the right, people on the left, who both agree now that, yeah, whether you like it or not, the Bill of Rights says what it says. And we, the people, have a right to keep and bear arms in self-defense. Again, you don't, you don't have to like it, but if you don't like it and you want to do something about it, you should try to repeal the Second Amendment, not ignore what it says. Oh, and by the way, Weinstein completely misrepresents the public defender's argument, which is not, well, I mean, in the Second Amendment, whatever, it's just that our clients are, no. Their brief states that New York is violating the Second Amendment with its may-issue carry laws. Everybody is harmed by New York's carry laws. But the harm is disproportionately felt by the poor, and yes, by black and brown residents, particularly of New York City, because that's where the majority of arrests are taking place. And what Ms. Weinstein doesn't tell her audience at the New York Times is what prosecutors like her do to people who are found to be in possession of a firearm in New York State without a government-issued permission slip. They're charged with a violent felony offense. And many of them go to prison for years. Their lives are upended and irrevocably changed for the worse because they were exercising their constitutional right of self-defense, but they didn't get New York say-so first. That's what we're fighting. And that's what she's fighting to keep in place. She writes that the public defenders aren't making a legal argument, but a political one, which I think is, again, nonsense. And she says it's unlikely to sway a Supreme Court focused on the text and original meaning of the Constitution, though the court may find it a useful fig leaf if it decides against New York. Again, I, I think that that is absolutely absurd. The text and the original meaning of the Constitution says that we, the people, have a right to both keep and bear arms. Weinstein says that the public defender's brief is, quote, meant to shock. And it does, and it's nihilism. A nihilism that echoes the far-right champions of the men we've seen on trial. 
Instead of taking guns out of the hands of the Rittenhouses and McMichaels of the world, these progressive public defenders want to level up to make guns more readily available to their clients, to all of us. Their vision, if realized, would make these self-defense claims of Mr. Rittenhouse and Mr. McMichael unremarkable, not only in red states, but across the country. In other words, the people, all the people, might actually be able to exercise their constitutional right to keep and bear arms in self-defense. Gosh, what a horrible day that would be. No, actually, it would be great. It would be great if that was the actual result of the Supreme Court case. I hope that it is. But let's go back to the way that she describes this. By the way, you notice she doesn't actually rebut the brief at all. She describes the brief to her audience, but she doesn't really say, she doesn't really get into the the, the nitty-gritty details of what the public defender's argument is all about. Instead, she says, it's just meant to shock. No, I don't think it is. I, I think it is meant, actually, to uh, hopefully stop putting people in prison for possessing a firearm without a permit that they're not going to be able to get in New York State. And by the way, she brings up Kyle Rittenhouse, she brings up Travis McMichael. Fine. Two, two, two big cases that have been in the news recently, both dealing with claims of self-defense. But what we saw from the juries in both of those cases, very different outcomes, right? Both of these individuals, and, and I know that in the case of the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, there were, there were two other individuals on trial, but I'm just going to start, uh, we'll, we'll stick with Travis McMichael and Kyle Rittenhouse. Both of those individuals started again with the presumption of innocence, right? I'm innocent until proven guilty. It was much easier, however, for prosecutors in the uh, McMichael case to prove to the jurors beyond a reasonable doubt that Travis McMichael was not acting in self-defense. That he was, in fact, the original aggressor. Because Travis McMichael, his father, Gregory McMichael, their neighbor, William Roddy Bryan, none of them had any justifiable cause to pursue Ahmaud Arbery. None of them uh, had any uh, valid claims to make a citizen's arrest. And so the minute they tore off after Ahmaud Arbery and then tried to stop him from leaving, tried to detain him, they were committed a crime. Meanwhile, prosecutors in the Kyle Rittenhouse case could not prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Kyle Rittenhouse was acting in self-defense. Why? Because the evidence didn't support the prosecution's argument. They based their entire argument on fuzzy drone footage and a pixelated photo that they purported showed Kyle Rittenhouse dropping his fire extinguisher, swinging his rifle around, left-handed, by the way, even though he's a righty, at uh, 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 an individual who was armed with a gun, Joshua Zeminski, and then that supposedly triggered Joseph Rosenbaum, who then chased after Kyle Rittenhouse. But Rittenhouse, again, in the prosecution's mind, was the original aggressor because he pointed that gun at Joshua Zeminski. They just didn't have much evidence to... Really, they didn't have any evidence to show that that was the case. At least not any of that was believable to a jury. So yes, both of these cases started out with individuals claiming that they acted in self-defense. The jury was able to determine, in one of these cases, no, that that was not the case at all. And in the other case, the jury concluded that, yes, this was, in fact, self-defense. Two very different cases, two very different outcomes. And I'm really not sure why Weinstein is comparing the two other than she's not willing to let Kyle Rittenhouse's not guilty verdict go. She still wants to believe that Rittenhouse was guilty of a crime. 
She still wants her readers to believe that Kyle Rittenhouse was guilty of a crime. And she wants her readers to be terrified that if Americans possess the right to act in self-defense, as we do, as she's already explained we do, that things are going to get so much worse as more of us lawfully carry firearms. She writes, the audacious position taken by these New York public defenders should give pause to anyone tempted to understand and maybe even discount the Rittenhouse and McMichael defenses as essentially conservative arguments playing to conservative juries in conservative states. If we start to think of guns only as a problem in the hands of the other, white supremacists, the far-right criminals, we will miss the simple fact that unregulated guns escalate violence across ideological lines. Their presence, she writes, tends to create a need for self-defense on both sides of the trigger, about which the law has very little to say. If Mr. Rosenbaum and Mr. Arbery did indeed reach for those guns, weren't they, no doubt, acting in self-defense? More guns, no matter in whose hands, will create more standoffs, more intimidation, and more death sanctioned in the eyes of the law. Well, first of all, I would say the problem is you viewing guns as the problem, Ms. Weinstein. I mean, that, 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 that's the issue here, is that you're viewing guns as the problem, as opposed to the individuals who might be holding that gun, legally or illegally, and what they're doing with that firearm. Because here's the thing. We live in a country, and, and of course, this is where Weinstein concludes her piece, right? It's the guns that are to blame. It's funny how they always run out of space after they blame the guns. They never have time to get to, and here's what we do to take the guns away. It's not, not, not in that column in the New York Times. Nope, she ran out of space. Because, well, it's simple. Because she doesn't have an answer. Look, we live in a nation with 400 million privately owned firearms. We live in a nation with 100 million legal gun owners. And we live in a nation where the right to keep and bear arms is protected by the Constitution. It wasn't established by the Constitution. It wasn't granted by the Constitution. It predates the Constitution. But it is protected by our Constitution. And again, if you don't like that, well, there's a process by which you can amend the Constitution. I suggest you get busy. But as for her actual argument, it's completely off base. Look, between 1991 and really 2020, violent crime in this country declined by more than 50%. While the number of Americans who possess a concealed carry license increased exponentially, there are now more than 21 million Americans with a valid concealed carry license. In the state of Florida, there are more than 2 million. Do you know what happened to the violent crime rate in Florida between 1991 and, say, 2020? Homicides reduced by more than 50%. Violent crime reduced by more than 50%. As there were more people legally carrying firearms. As there were more people who were exercising the right to bear arms in self-defense. Violent crime didn't increase. Violent crime went down dramatically. What happened in Washington, D.C. after its handgun ban was overturned by the Supreme Court? Homicides did not go up. They went down. Now, granted, D.C. still made it extraordinarily difficult for you to exercise your right to keep and bear arms, but homicides went down. Even when D.C. was forced to adopt a shall-issue standard for their concealed carry licenses, homicides went down. Right up until 2020, when we saw violent crime increase in many parts of the country. Not because of increased gun sales. In fact, there have been multiple studies now that have debunked the link between increased gun sales and increased violent crime. Instead, the pandemic 
And I think most importantly, the uh, unrest and the riots and the looting that took place in many parts of the country and the 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 after effects of the uh, defund the police movement of cops, uh, you know, retiring early, uh, leaving big city police departments and going to, you know, smaller departments in the suburbs or rural areas. Um, I think all of that has had an impact on the violent crime, far more than an increase in legal gun owners. But this is where the left is. This is where at least some on the left is. What's fascinating is that this isn't where all of the left are because she just we just spent 10 minutes talking about Weinstein ripping liberal public defenders for daring to side with the Second Amendment. So it's not that this is where the left is. This is this is where gun control advocates are. Like like Ms. Weinstein. They can't, you know, when when they could just point the finger at guys like me. No, look, it's just, you know, another one of those middle-aged white guys with a big beard lives in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's just one of those right-wing extremists. His opinion doesn't matter. That was fine. But now that people within their own tribe are speaking out and making an argument that is very familiar to conservative gun owners, that, yeah, the right to keep and bear arms is a right of the people. There are people who are being put in prison for the nonviolent offense of keeping and bearing arms without a government permission slip, and that's wrong and is not helpful. It doesn't actually reduce violent crime and is violating people's constitutional rights, so we need to stop it. Now that it's not just people on the right making that case, now we see the gun control activists like uh, Ms. Weinstein start to lose their mind and they're lashing out. Again, they don't have a solid argument in rebuttal. She's a prosecutor. She spent years as a as a prosecutor, both the state and federal level. She's a legal analyst for NBC News. And what is her analysis? This isn't even a legal argument. I, NBC, however much you're paying her, it's too much. You should hire one of these public defenders to be your next legal analyst. I think you'd get your money's worth. Uh, as for Ms. Weinstein's argument, um, well, she really doesn't have one. Because her argument basically boils down to, we got too many guns out there, and we need to do something about it. Well, again, I mean, I guess you could try to persuade people not to exercise their Second Amendment rights. You could try to force people not to exercise their Second Amendment rights. Or you could try to amend the Constitution and take away American Second Amendment rights. From where I sit, those are your options. And the sad thing is, for Ms. Weinstein and all of the other anti-gun activists out there, that puts you on the wrong side of history. Because that puts you between the American people and the exercise of a fundamental, individual, constitutionally protected right. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report will start there. I don't expect to see Ms. Weinstein write any headlines bemoaning this fact. A man sentenced to 18 months for a 2019 funeral shooting near Frederick, Maryland. 18 months. You get more prison time in New York just for carrying a gun without a, uh, a license. Just for possessing a gun in your home without a license. But 29-year-old Damar Allen of Germantown, Maryland, mm-mm, he got a sweetheart plea deal. Pleaded guilty back on November 1st. He was sentenced by uh, Judge Julie Stevenson Solt to 20 years behind bars for a shooting at a funeral in 2019. But the judge then turned around and suspended all but 18 months of that sentence. After he's released, he'll undergo three years of supervised probation. And he got credit for time served. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, excuse me. That was waived. 
that that's apparently getting tough on crime. So he, he's not getting credit for time served. Police arrested uh, Damar Allen in Montgomery County in April. This was almost two years after the shooting that took place. That shooting, by the way, injured two people. Took place at the Jackson Chapel United Methodist Church. They identified Allen as the suspect about 10 days later. They believed the shooting to be targeted as it occurred after an altercation at the funeral service. Uh, despite two people being shot, again, Damar Allen walking away with a plea deal, 18 months behind bars, and a couple of years on probation, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Again, I- I'd like to see a uh, prosecutor like Weinstein, or a legal analyst, excuse me, former prosecutor like uh, 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 Ms. Weinstein, Sound off on a case like this, but now apparently she's too worried about, you know, you and I being able to uh, protect ourselves or, or or the average resident of New York. Meanwhile, today's Armed Citizen story from uh, not too far away from where I am coming to you today, Bedford County, Virginia, which is uh, less than an hour from me over uh, near Lynchburg, Virginia. There was a shooting uh, on Friday night in uh, Forest, uh, Virginia, in uh, Bedford County. Police say 911 call came in about a woman who said that her estranged husband had forced himself into her home armed with a knife, and he had been shot. Deputies report when they arrived, they found a male with multiple gunshot wounds. According to statements made to police, the uh, estranged husband apparently had forced his way into the home after the female opened the door, and then he attempted to attack her with a knife. There was a, uh, a gentleman inside the home, described as a male acquaintance, who saw the attack, retrieved a handgun, and shot the woman's estranged husband several times. Uh, the assailant has been identified as uh, Daniel Wayne Eads of Gretna, Virginia. He uh, passed away uh, there at the scene. Police say that multiple knives were recovered, as well as the uh, handgun uh, that was used in the shooting. Uh, according to the uh, sheriff, they, this is still an active investigation, uh, but at all, uh, all, all reports uh, at this point indicate that this would have been an act of if not self-defense, defense of another. It was not the woman who shot her estranged husband herself, but again, it was somebody else in the home acting to prevent her loss of life. At least that's what investigators believe is the case right now. We'll keep our eyes on the story. We'll bring any details uh, as they become available. And finally today, our good deed of the day. Cleveland, Ohio, where an off-duty officer in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to uh, help a neighbor, Officer John Halkiatis said it was uh, one night, a couple weeks ago, he's off duty, at his house, and he said, we heard banging on the front door. And it's the neighbor, and he's like, you got to get over, Ed's not doing well. So I put on my shoes, I run over there. Ed Cop is his next-door neighbor. Cop said, I had a heart attack. Blacked out. Full cardiac arrest. So John Halkiatis gets to the home. He says, there's Ed in his recliner, but he's purple. He said, I mean, I don't even recognize him. 911's been called. Dispatcher asks, is he breathing? Man in the home says, no, he's non-responsive. Hakiatis uh, said, I just started doing CPR. I told my wife, just like my training. Uh, on the 911 call, you can hear the dispatcher say, I'm going to start counting with you just to make sure you guys are going fast enough. So Hakiatis is performing CPR. Um, the uh, Ed Cop's son is there helping out as well. And before the rescue squads even got there, they were able to get a pulse. Hakiatis says his color started coming back, started breathing. Cop, meanwhile, says, my cardiologist told me it was a bad one, what they call the Widowmaker. What's crazy about this is Halkiatis had just gone through a refresher course on CPR, like within the, uh, the, the previous couple of weeks. 
And the reason why he was home that night is because he had decided not to work overtime. So he kind of changed his schedule, you know, not thinking, well, you know, I might have to be here to save my neighbor's life. Just one of those things, you know, I could use some extra money for the holidays, but you know what? I'm just going to hang out at home. I'm glad that he made that choice. And in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to save not only a neighbor, but uh, as Halkiatis said, a friend of mine, uh, Officer John Halkiatis of the Cleveland Police Department. We thank you, sir, for your very good deed. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you, as always, for being a part of the program. Thank you so much. Uh, also, don't forget, you can become a VIP subscriber of BearingArms.com. We've got a, a great deal going on right now for you. Significant savings on your VIP membership. That's going to give you access to exclusive commentary, news stories, analysis. If you upgrade to the VIP Gold, you're going to open up a whole new world uh, because you're not only going to get that, that exclusive uh, commentary from Bearing Arms, but all of the town hall media family of websites. It'll be Red State and townhall.com and PJ Media and Twitchy and Hot Air. I might even be forgetting one or two. And then you've got the VIP Gold live chats that we do every week. Again, it's a great deal and a great way to show your support for the independent journalism we do uh, at uh, Town Hall Media. And I thank you very much for your support. We'll see you back here tomorrow with another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. Until we speak again, be well, be safe, and be free. 